This season of What's Your Story is brought to you by Paystack. If you run a business or you're thinking of launching one, Paystack helps you to accept payments online from anyone, anywhere in the world. Don't have a website? Doesn't matter. With Paystack, you can create a simple and attractive online store for free and all by yourself. You can also create simple payment links and invoices and send them to your customers wherever you chat with them. And they can pay you via card, mobile money, Apple Pay, and more. Paystack also integrates seamlessly with popular e-commerce platforms like Shopify, WordPress, and WooCommerce. And if you're a tech-savvy business owner, you can rely on the Paystack API to create custom and delightful payment experiences for your customers. Create your free Paystack account and join over 200,000 businesses across Africa that rely on Paystack to get paid and grow their businesses. Visit paystack.com technova to create your free Paystack account and start accepting payments online. That's paystack.com slash technova. I realized that the, the demand for design was so much because can you imagine the whole Tigo yeah, is requesting design from yeah, one person, one agency. Yeah. And then it was me and another a friend of mine that I tagged along. So we were like only two designers wow. designing for the whole Tigo. Yeah, that's a whole, yeah, that's, that's a, crazy. That's a and those work. guys design, like those guys are always designing something. Yes, like, there's always work coming Social in media, yeah. print, different things. On today's episode, we talked to Bernard Sopre, founder of Brandmeister and now Jumbo Spaces. Before Bernard officially started his career, he started out as a graphic designer. He did some work for Tigo and later became a brand specialist for Vodafone Ghana. He then went on to hit major milestones including becoming the manager for the musician Mr. Easy. One of the biggest breaks for his career came when he was headhunted by a recruiter for Twitter and he later became the senior partner manager for Twitter in Africa. But when Elon Musk purchased the company and announced layoffs, he and his team were unfortunately let go. But now he's onto something new with a new initiative called Jumbo Spaces. Let's listen in to how Bernard got to the current position he's in now. So today's episode, we're talking to Bernard. How do you say your last name? Sokbe. Sokbe. Okay, some people say Sokbe. Sokbe. Some people say Sokbe. So where is that from? Is that from Volta region? Volta region, yeah. Uh-huh. Both parents are from the Volta region. I mean, yeah, so some say Sukwe, some say Sukwe, but my mom insists Sukwe. Sukwe. <laughs> because Sukwe means stone or something. So. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and you didn't go to school in the Volta region? Me? No. no. <laughs> where, where did you um, start your high school? Uh, let me start from like kindergarten. I started, <laughs> I started uh, from Cape Leclerc. I was basically one of the first students in Cape Leclerc uh, because it was a family, uh, like I'm related to the the owners so like yeah my family started like I was one of the first students Um, that was in kindergarten then I went to Alcid Academy Mm. um, in Jolu so I did Alcid till JSS 3 and left wrote my BC and left to Presec okay so I did Presec then KNUST okay what would you study in Presec like what did you want to do in in high school Um, visual arts so I mean I wanted to do arts and Everybody thought, oh, why are you going to do arts? That's because there's a perception that, oh, people who do visual arts are people who don't pass their exams. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, I don't know yeah. if it's still like that, but it was that thing like, oh, visual students are those who don't make the argument six. So then they put yeah, them there. Yeah, smart yeah, the science But I'm, I've always been the person that's like, I love art. I draw, like I, I sketch, I do mm-hmm. stuff like that. And you know how when you're in school, like there are always a, like maybe some p- people in the class that 
when there's time to draw a diagram or anything, they send mm-hmm. everybody goes to them to help them. Right. Yeah, right. I was that person. Like I used to help people draw because I, I like I used to love drawing. So when it was time to go to school, I just knew that I wanted to do art. So I said I decided to do visual arts. Yeah. Did you have any plan in your head as far as career that I'm going to do this work when you got out of high school? No. You know what? It's so funny. When I was in school, I thought when I come out of school, I'll be a sculptor hmm. or a painter or someone like the a painter, painter yeah. or something like that. Because I was doing visual art and the main thing I was doing visual art was painting and sculpture. So I couldn't see past it. I could just hmm. see that I would be a, I would be a sculptor or a, a, how do you call it? A painter, painter or so art or something like that yeah well that's interesting so when you went to k-university like what was your so when i started looking after Presec, i started looking for a course in k-university i started researching i saw all these fine art courses i mm-hmm. saw sculpture mm-hmm. i saw uh, painting i saw integrated design um, and then i saw communication design mm-hmm. communication design was more graphic design advertising packaging and because he had so my brother had my, and I used to follow a lot of things that my brother does so mm. my brother went to Presec I went to Presec he went to Tech I went to Tech right. because I mean he was the eldest and I just didn't know anybody else I could look up to in that way Right. so my brother was doing computer science in, in Tech and he used to always talk about oh the new age of computers the new age of mm-hmm. computers like mm-hmm. oh it's going to be very techy yeah. like so when I started thinking of what to do in art, I'm like, it would be great to have a fusion of tech or like the computer age with what I do with art. That makes sense. And yeah. communication design was the one that stood out most because the rest of them was very like uh, hand, Hands like on. you had to use your hands. Yeah. So when I saw communication design, I saw advertising, I saw graphic design, I saw animation, I'm like, yo, this is it. That's the new and path, then I yeah. took, I decided to do that course. And along the way, while I was doing that course, I found out more about the advertising industry mm-hmm. and graphic design and stuff like that. So by my second year, I'd learned how to use Corel Draw, mm-hmm. um, and I was doing graphic design myself. Then before I finished, I was doing Photoshop, Illustrator. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came out of tech as a graphic designer okay. with the mindset that I'm going to work in an ad agency. Okay. Oh, so yeah. you already had your picture in your head. Yeah, yeah. so that. by the time I was in third year, I only figured that out in third year. When we took us out, they let everybody go for their... So in tech, you go for your industrial attachment. Okay. So they'll send you to um, art agencies in Accra. Hmm. And I went to this place called... It wasn't even a full-blown agency. And I was very sad about it, but um, I was happy that at least when I got there, I was the only person who was doing like graphic design. Hmm. So everybody used to come to me to... It was called Digibooks. Okay. It was in um, Sacramento, and I was living at Spintex, and so it was close to home. And it was my first time actually working, like, like I, I um, even job. though, yeah. So I used to do like the the cover, the covers of the books mm. for because it's a publishing house, and um, it was fun. Like everybody was coming to me in the in the office to do some of the covers, and then I would be excited to see that when I finish designing, they publish, and they print it out, and it's, it's the cover. Like I went so to some really good book yeah. launches of very very big and famous politicians and I felt good about it yeah you're literally seeing your work on the yes books. yes <laughs> yes but also at the same time I don't know if I'm jumping the questions but just to give you a little context at the same time while I was doing learning graphic design and going to start my first industrial attachment I was working with Echo Magazine Echo Magazine um, that's Beryl so mm. Beryl has started a magazine 
in her third year. Um, yeah, and she started a magazine on campus and I used to do parties on campus. Like so organizing the parties? Yeah, I used to organize parties, like club parties, stuff like that. Okay. And so she came to me and said, yo, I, I want you to join, like help, uh, let's work on this together. together. Mm-hmm. So I brought that whole entertainment thing to add to what she was doing with the whole editorial stuff. And we did the first Echo House, Echo Party. That wasn't yeah. called Echo House, it was called Echo Magazine. Echo Magazine. First Echo Magazine party called the Red and White Party. So I was designing for the magazine. Mm-hmm. I was also helping with even writing articles because I write too. Okay. And then I was, uh, I helped create some events. And by doing that party, it started looking like a lifestyle magazine. Oh, so okay. it switched up like what people thought of Echo Magazine and it became that thing like how you remember Ovation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it became like an Ovation for campus. Like yeah. everybody who's in an event wants Echo Magazine to come and cover it and that okay. kind of thing. So it's helped in the growth of like Echo until even what it is today. Yeah. Nice. So when you took all that experience, what did you come out from um, university? Like, what did you want to do? They just, did you want to do ad agency again or do you want to do communication? No, no. So when I came out to university, I was now convinced I wanted to work in an ad agency, okay. but as a graphic designer. So the same barrel got me my first job after I came out. So I used, I designed one of the, had a magazine called the Echo Fresher magazine. It was for campus. Um, campus, the freshers coming in. Uh-huh, okay. And I designed the whole thing, like cover every part. And she was looking for sponsorship from Tigo. And the agency, there was an agency that had come from Latin America mm. called 4AM Sachi, who was Tigo's agency. They came just for Tigo. Oh, just for the, okay, yeah. Yeah. So while she was looking for sponsorship, someone, the, the one of the clients told her that, oh, they have an agency who is trying to hire designers. Who designed this magazine that you want us to sponsor? Right. It's oh, there's a guy. He's called Bernard. Okay, right. And then they so she contacted me like, yo, they're looking. This agency is looking for graphic designers. Do you want to do this job? I'm like, yeah, why not? Like, yeah. I just came out of school. It wasn't even two weeks. Oh, that okay, come home. okay. So I never really got to rest after uni. Like, I came out of school. I just started the working. second week. Yeah. I was working at 4 a.m. Sachi. Boom, graphic designer. So I did that for. The entire period in 4AM Sachi was like a, a year and a couple of months. Uh, but along the way in 4AM Sachi, in some few months in, I realized that the, the demand for design was so much because can you imagine the whole Tigo yeah, is requesting using, design from yeah, one person, one agency. Yeah. And then it was me and another a friend of mine that I tagged along. So we were like only two designers wow. designing for the whole Tigo. Yeah, that's a whole, yeah, that's, that's crazy. A, that's and those work. guys design, like those guys are always designing something. Yes, like, there's always work coming Social media, yeah. prints, different things. Um, so I could not handle the pressure. Yeah, I would be, I would admit. And I realized that I love to design at my pace. Hmm. I can't design on demand because okay. I need to think. I you need have to, to be creative. Yeah, and, I need to be yeah. creative. I can't, I, like I hadn't hugged the process of how designers had templates and things that they just used to. I was very like connected to my work. And, I, and, and I'm like that, I've been like that till now. Like mm-hmm. when I'm working on something, I needed to reach some level of like perfection or mm. um, a specific way. Right. So I started exploring other things in the agency. And because I write, I started doing copywriting. So I would do design, but not on demand. Okay. I would do it when, let's say, there's too much workload and there's some extra design work to be done and I'll assist. Okay. But I was now writing scripts. I used to write radio scripts, Tigo Sunday, every week. <laughs> I used to write documentaries for Tigo Family Care Insurance, oh, wow. like okay. TVCs, uh, Ani Kuchikuchi, 
all those things. So I used to write TVC, uh, stuff yeah, for scripts, yeah. yeah, scripts for them. So now I'd learned how to do copywriting professionally. I'd learned graphic design. And then the final part was, um, because they were Latin Americans, English wasn't their first language. Mm-hmm. And every time the, there was a misunderstanding with the client, I would sort of step in and diffuse the situation mm. by breaking it down in from a Ghanaian or like Ghanaian mentality or perspective. Okay. And my my boss then was like so amazed at how things that could be super escalates and I would just step in and then yeah, talk to the clients yeah. in like 10 minutes and the clients would just get it and then they would proceed and everything would be fine. So she said, you know what? Why don't you do some client service too? Because oh, wow. it was a small agency. Okay. The next thing I knew, they were dragging me into every meeting. I was following them, presenting. I'll do the copywriting. I'll do the storyboard. I'll go and present my thing. Mm-hmm. And after that, take notes. It was it was crazy. It's yeah, like a whole one man agency. Yeah, one man like thing, I, yeah. I could execute from brief to end, like oh, wow. to deliver. That's so. By the time I was leaving the agency, like I, that's the mindset that I had. Like so, I was like a walking agency. Yeah, you got a, the wealth of experience yes. just in one place. Yeah, and then so there was one day we were just there and we heard that they lost their account. Uh, so I think they changed the marketing manager. He too says he wants to open it up for more agencies, especially local agencies. Mm. Um, I think there was a lot of like people were concerned about why did you have to go and bring an agency from like El Salvador and Honduras. Yeah why I want you to use local agencies because mm. the local agencies that are doing great work, there was an agency called Creative Eye that was doing really good work before the game. So why would you bring foreign agencies? Mm. So I mean, that's me losing my job. But interestingly, a few weeks before I lost my job, someone had reached out to me that, um, hey, um, there's this opportunity at Vodafone mm. because you've been helping with Tigo's yeah. um, socials. Um, Vodafone wants to get into running it's their socials. Same, yeah. And that was a time in Ghana where brands didn't even have an idea how to handle socials. Yeah. It existed. Yeah, Facebook. Um, yeah. I think Instagram was not even a thing. No, not really. Yes, yeah, so it was Facebook, Facebook and, um, and Twitter. Yeah. And brands didn't know how to, uh, to even they didn't even know what to do on socials like they'll set up their accounts but they don't know what to do they don't know what to post yeah, yeah. they don't know how to run it yeah. so and then they had seen how we're running Tigo so they were like competition you know how it is in Telco <laughs> competition is doing it we have to also have get to into the same it thing. Mm-hmm. yeah so I went, interviewed for it and I got a job so I got into um, Vodafone Vodafone I mean do you want me to continue or do you want well, to no, ask we, more we, questions we can talk about the Vodafone I mean so you went to Vodafone how long How long did you stay at Vodafone I stayed in Vodafone for three years okay that's the yeah that's so I went there I set up their account they had set up Facebook already but I set up their Twitter I set up their Instagram I did a strategy for it I basically set up the process in which they should run socials. Okay. And it was amazing. Okay, so you spent three years at Vodafone. And from Vodafone, what did you jump to after that? So I did three years at Vodafone, digital, brand, uh, customer loyalty. And the last bit was Vodafone X, where I did, mm-hmm. I launched Vodafone X, Youth Engagement Manager. Yeah. Then I left Tonaton. Yeah, I had a boss in Vodafone who left Tonaton as the country manager and was like, uh, we need like proper marketing out here because we need to switch things up. Mm. So she was like, you need to come here. Initially, I wasn't sure because I was going too comfortable with Vodafone. I had just launched Vodafone X, so yeah. it was my baby. I didn't want to abandon just it. Leave it yeah. But after a while, I'm like, okay, it's time for a new challenge. So I left to Tonaton as marketing manager. I did that for a year. I did. Add, I added ad sales to it. I did it for um, a couple, like almost another year, a couple of months after. So I think I did Tonaton for 
like a year and six months. Oh, nice. So, okay, so you did that for four years and it turned on one year. And you're adding ad sales to your wealth of experience as well. Yeah, yeah, I did ad sales. Yeah. Okay. And what, what was the next jump for you? So, what was your next challenge? Um, I did, so I was doing, I started doing music right before I left with that phone. That's when I set up Meister Music. Okay. I was working with Mr. Easy, discovered great talent. He was an old friend of mine. I brought in my marketing expertise and before you know it, we blew, we blew up Bankulize, Kintite, set up a label. And before I knew it, I was, I was in music. I was ma- ma- managing an artist. So what, was, this, what was the inspiration? Like, why did you want to jump into music? What was it? No, I've always loved music. And because I, when I was working in Vodafone, I was working on the brand properties. Vodafone was sponsoring music at the time, mm. tapping into the passions of music as a passion of Ghanaians. So I was doing... Um, Vodafone icons. Remember the reality yes, show? Yes, yeah. I was doing show. Zero to Zero Live where we brought Ludacris, Amber Rose, mm-hmm. uh, Trey Song, stuff like that, The Banj. Um, I was doing Vodafone Live, which was a music platform where people download music. Oh, yeah. Um, so I had a good stint in music by then and I already had passion for I like music. Okay. So it was easy for me to transfer my marketing skills into that space, space. because. I had connects to like I had a good network of people across from Ghana, South Africa, Nigeria. So it was easy for me to plug his music and talk to the right people, speak mm. to DJs. Um, I mean, because I, I was dealing with all these people, Miss Na and Miss Vision, mm-hmm. all those people already. So good connections. So yeah. it was just easy for me to just say, "Hey, yo, I've got this artist, put him on." Um, mm. And I was also doing some consulting for DJ Kess at the time. Okay. So yeah, it's it just fell through seamlessly yeah okay because you had a lot of experience and connections so yes. it's easy to plug into music yeah. so what was the i guess i asked what were the were there any challenges when you first started the music in the music scene no i i, I just okay it seemed like passion to me because i mean i was doing my main full-time job mm-hmm. and i was just trying to help and i wasn't banking all my hopes on it i'm like one take it one day at a uh, time yeah. so the progress was exciting for me i mean there were times that let's say you want to put your artist on an interview and they don't know him. So they are like, oh no, like they don't, they, they don't, don't want to. I remember there was, when Bankulai's hit, there was a time I was going to, um, I was trying to get him on an interview and the presenter told me point blank that, oh, Bankulai, that's a song with uh, Mr. Easy and Papi Kojo, right? Mm-hmm. They said, oh, if you bring Papi Kojo to the interview, we would have the interview with Easy, but... Without we, him. we don't know who he is, so oh, wow. unless you bring Papi Kojo, and I just felt like that was super insulting. I yeah, mean, that taught me a lot too as I went on my career. That like you're only relevant, like you're only like important once you're relevant. You mm. understand? So, and people, everybody's look tapping into the next relevant thing. So, when you're no more relevant, people don't care. People don't bother. It's only yeah. a few people who who will stick around and know see the potential and or even pick friendship out of Gotta their bet. dealings with you and ensure that they stay in touch to your next big thing you get what mm-hmm. I mean yeah. makes sense yeah I mean I've, I've seen it as I, I went on like from when I stopped working with Easy, the people who stopped reaching out from when um, even when Elon Musk sold Twitter and mm-hmm. I couldn't now help people do stuff on the Twitter anymore there's some people who never reached out again <laughs> like but do you get what I mean? Because yeah. they don't need me for yeah, anything yeah, anymore. Even though yeah. they were pretending every time to check on me as friends. But mm. I've learned that over time. So I just know that, man, just keep your head up, keep doing your work. And <laughs> you're only as relevant as... It's like it's like if you're a president and you're no more in power. You don't have the connections you not, anymore. Yeah. You would not hear a from lot a lot of people until you you get your next appointment. Everybody will start texting you. Oh, congrats, congrats, congrats. Yep. Can we have a meeting? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. 
yeah so that's interesting so with the music thing with Mr. Easy I know that you there's this popular thing or this popular story that you actually coined the term dirty rave yes so yes, what, what yes. was the story behind that so I mean it's just something first of all it was a term that I used to say every time like oh we could dirty ourselves or we could dirty ourselves yeah, like probably. like anytime we're going to like party or we're, we're chilling or something such like we dirty ourselves it's just like a term to show that like we're going to it's going to be crazy like it's going to be a mess and it's something I used to say a lot mm. so when we go on tours or when we like we go and party or something I, I'll be I'll be calling him oh dirty boy hey this boy I'm a dirty boy so he also started calling himself dirty, dirty boy, boy. Mm-hmm. and just at the time that we uh, he was in that dirty boy era we decided to do concerts for him across different countries so I think we did one in Abuja yeah in Abuja Lagos and Accra okay. and at that time because it's the Dirty Boy era we were like yo let's call it the Dirty Rave mm-hmm. you understand so um, I mean through our brainstorm we came up oh let's call it Dirty Rave and then before we knew it it was on the posters and everything um, Abuja one it went well it was alright Lagos okay but Accra was was the one that I executed okay so like, you were yeah, down the um, ground I mean I at that point like I was like a one man agency like I said <laughs> Still. I coined the name I did the graphic design the posters okay. flyers I was saving adapting it I was talking to radio people I was working with production I basically executed that thing I mean I had a little help getting to the time like but you were the main yeah. pressure on it so I had friends who volunteered and people that I reached out to that yo this is what we are doing come and volunteer and it's sad to say but I mean at that time we didn't even have the money to pay people so mm. a lot of people were like I said we're just volunteering and out, at, yeah. at, like at the end we, we could give them something that maybe to go home with but we weren't necessarily like paying people um, but yeah that was all part of the journey yeah. mm. I mean now I, I don't run anymore but I'm sure they pay people before yeah, it, it, because the name is now Snow yeah, yeah, now, now it's profitable I mean at that time it was like newbie trying to figure out but yeah yeah that was, that was my baby um, I coined a lot of names for a lot of events, actually. Like, because I mean, I was doing copyrights, and so um, the Tidal Rave, I named Tidal, Tidal Rave. Rave. Yeah, that was okay. my thing. And yeah, I mean, I don't have some in the back of my head now, but yeah, a lot of names, events that I've named, or I had to call it taglines that I have brought up and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So I know that, okay, so you did the Meister music, and now you're doing the Brand Meister, which is your consultancy thing. Yeah. And throughout the period, you're, you're making yourself well-known. People are calling you like Mr. Easy's manager, things mm-hmm. like that. So I know that in 2021, I think Twitter was now coming bigger and expanding. Yeah. And the story is that they reached out to you when they wanted to run their African region. So how, how did that story come about? How did they reach out to you? So um, everybody kept telling me that, yo, this Twitter has come to Ghana. You need to, you need to, how do you call it, get a job there. You need to apply, you need to apply. And what happened was that I had seen a marketing communications role. And because everyone was bugging me, I just, and I was running my agency. I didn't want yeah. to leave it. I'm like, man, like, yeah, I'm building thing. this. I'm about to hit the fifth year. You know what they say about um, running, doing a business, you know, you cross the five-year threshold, um, then you know you're, you're good. Yeah. So I didn't want anything to distract me. Yeah. Even though it looked like a very appealing job. Uh, but because of all the pressure, oh, apply, apply, apply. I'm like, okay, fine. So there was a marketing communications role that I sent, I put my, I put in my CV for, and you know how the ATS um, automated? Yeah, they, yeah, they scanned it. In like everything. 24 hours, the thing came back and then says, oh, you don't qualify. I'm like, okay, cool. I did what I did. <laughs> yeah, it's you, like, you apply, yeah. I've done it, you people, it's okay. And then 
I just let it go. But I was there like almost like a whole month or two after or a month after. And I got an email from a lady from South Africa. She was a, a recruiter, a headhunter. Mm-hmm. So she mailed me and said she's been observing me. She's been watching my she see my presence online. She sees I'm, I am, there's a role for me, but she thinks I'm super fit for the role. Mm. I'm well connected. They need someone like me. They need someone with my experience too. And by entrepreneurial and also, because I'd, I'd been an entrepreneur and I'd also done corporate. So they need that mindset. Someone who can, who can think like a startup and also mm. think with structure or sense. work with the team and stakeholders. Right. So she says, are you interested in a role? And the role is a senior partnerships manager role. Okay. I'm like, okay, um, I'm interested. Let's have a conversation. Okay. Um, most of the time, I barely reject interview requests, even if I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people should do that. I do that because it's an opportunity to be seated in front of a decision maker mm-hmm. um, to have a conversation. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even if you don't take up that role they're offering you, you can make an imprint in their minds where they can rem- remember you for another opportunity. Right, that makes or sense. Or you could do something else with them or they could recommend you to somebody. Okay. So I barely reject interview opportunities. It's only lately that I've been rejecting some because <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, a, yeah. I basically don't want my time to be wasted. Right. Yeah. But I think people should always accept interview opportunities. Okay. Even if on the first hint, they think it's not going to do anything for them. Just go and have the conversation. Sometimes your mind changes in the interview mm-hmm. and also you might have opportunities to network. <laughs> so I said yes, but I was interested in the opportunity because it's Twitter and I'm yeah. like, oh, if Twitter has come to Ghana, I want to be part of this story. Like, this is big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I got into interviewing for Twitter and going through multiple interviews and then getting the role and it really impacted my career. It has so much. Okay. Because I know you started the campaign, some campaigns for Twitter. I knew you, you started with the billboard campaigns around the yeah. city, everything else. So what were some of the challenges in the beginning when you started working with Twitter? Okay. Even though they were working from Ghana, they were trying to tap very much into Nigeria. But they couldn't operate from Nigeria because of yeah, safety. Yeah. Ghana was ideal. So trying to get access to a lot of Nigerian content like or work with a lot of Nigerian creators... It was hard because I don't live in Nigeria. Yeah, but, in Ghana, yeah. And I had little... I, luckily, I had some network in Nigeria because when I was working with Easy, so it was easy for me to tap into my old contacts and get access to some people. So I would say the biggest challenge was trying to leverage very much on Nigerian Nigerian side of the continent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, 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 that I would say is my big, was my biggest challenge. But apart from that, they were very, very... My especially like my boss that I was working with Emily, she was super supportive, ready to let me and, and I, I work very well when I have creative license. Mm. Yeah, because this is me coming from an agency where I'm like the boss. Yeah. And then so if I'm coming to work in corporate and you want me to run operations in Africa for uh, partnerships in Africa, you should allow me to execute yeah. G- give you a boss. Yeah. So, and she gave me that and that's what helped me because I was doing whatever I wanted to do once it made sense to the, to the objectives of Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you were working for Twitter for a year and then of course, a um, year later, Liam was bought Twitter and then yeah. of course he kind of downsized the company in a way and you guys were let go. Yeah. Because I know, I remember you were tweeting your experience about how you couldn't log into your account <laughs> one day and that's yeah. when you knew that, okay, that. You just so, so 
from the moment he bought the company, right? Or from the moment he expressed interest in buying the company, mm-hmm. there's a lot of speculation going on in the entire business. We're about 3,800, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of speculations like, Oh, what's going to happen if it takes over? Is it going to get better? Are we going to keep our jobs? Are people going to lose their jobs? But you know, like, if you know Elon, you can't predict him. <laughs> yeah, very unpredictable. So yeah. what was happening is that the entire business stopped hearing info from internal comms. We're not getting emails anymore. Everything we see, we see it on, on our timeline. <laughs> Imagine that. From news, news uh, outlets. outlets. Mm-hmm. And that was so wild and so, um, it used to give people anxiety. Mm-hmm. So like you wake up and you see some news about maybe your boss is gonna get fired wow. you, on the timeline. Yeah, time like, oh, it's not true. It's not true. Next thing you know, your boss is fired. Wow. So we started even believing what we see on the news. Wow. So when he bought the company, we heard, oh, okay, the CEO Parag is gonna go. Hmm. And truth to it, in 24 hours, Parag was gone, wow. and two other people under him, um, I think Vijay and someone. Um, so the next one we had was, oh, he's going to file all their reports, direct reports. Boom, we, next thing we knew, that happened. Then we heard another one, oh, he's going to half the company. Wow. He's going to like half the entire, like divide the company into half uh, because he thinks there are too many, there are too many, many duplicate rules and there are too many people. So because we had seen all this happen in real time, we were expecting the worst. Me, I just braced myself. I'm like... I've done my part. Yeah, you did all the partnerships. I've, I've held do. it down for the continent. Mm-hmm. If this is how it's going to be, I just go back to doing the business that I was doing, which was running my agency. Makes sense. Um, I mean, the agency was being run already. Uh, my partner, Therese Jones, was like heading it. She's always been like my other half. So she's just heading the company and running it properly. So I just knew I was just going to go back and join her and then we take it on from there like we Makes always sense. used to. Interestingly, that week we were closing in. We had closed off on the office, the Ghana office, yeah, the Africa the, office, Africa but office. In, in Ghana, Atlantic Towers. So we had moved in. We had set up. We had started work. I'd gone to work three times that week, Steph. <laughs> and then on the Friday, I had a conversation with my boss Emily, and she says, "Well, she's still. She's also not received any internal comments, but wow. from the conversations that we are having." Um, I should I should prepare for the worst, hmm. and it's not just me, but it's like everybody, everybody, like everybody. almost everybody. So I mean, we, we woke up. Everybody got an email. Mm-hmm. So it was like Squid Games. Like everybody got <laughs> <laughs> email saying yeah. if you don't get an email, if you get an email in your personal mail, um, wow. then your job has been impacted. If you don't get uh, if you get if you don't get that personal in your personal mail, that means you're safe. Hmm. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, cool. Wow. Um, then I think the night. The night after, I had like an impersonation request. Hey, that night, I had an impersonation request or something. So I was just checking on Slack with the support team. See what's um, happening. I think it was got to do with Kali J or something. I was just checking on them. I was trying to respond to something in Slack. And then my Slack just goes off my phone. I'm like, wow. Bro. Like that channel completely. Yeah, it just went off. So I was thinking for a second, oh, what's happening? Then I think I went into my Gmail, my Twitter mail, and then... I tried to respond to something to him. It also went. And then I'm like, oh, this Squid Games is happening. Yeah, so it's so, basically yeah, off. I just texted my my boss then and then I'm like, um, I mean, I have a feeling I, I'm going to be impacted. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we'll catch up later in the morning. So in the morning, I said, let me go clear out like my oh, like, stuff. things yeah. I need from my laptop. 
Um, so when I, when I logged into the laptop and then um, I managed to clear out everything, but I hadn't connected to the internet. So oh. I started seeing screenshots on Twitter. So tweets all over the world, like everywhere, Europe, Australia, India, Brazil, everybody was seeing screenshots of what's happening to their devices and stuff oh, yes, like that. Yes, I and they're that. using the hashtag love where you worked. The, yes, what we used yes, to say yes, was yes. love where you work, but because like everybody was leaving, so yeah. the love where you work. So it was like more of like a, and our Slack channels then the day before was just buzzing with blue hearts. It was wow. so beautiful. Like it was, it was, uh, I don't know how to explain it's it. It's the most bittersweet, especially everybody just like, you know, everybody just going. Yeah, just it's like the end of the world kind of yeah. thing. Like it's just, it, it, it wasn't sad. It was just like everybody was just leaving nice messages. Like yeah, there, it was great experience. working with you. Yeah. This is not an attack on our competencies. Mm. This is just because we yes. have no control. Have no, yeah, nothing happened. New no, new law. This is how he wants to run his new business. So everybody was just consoling each other. Oh, we meet again. We meet again. Mm. It was so beautiful. Like and a bit emotional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Then I checked my laptop that day, and then after I connected to internet, also went off and then right after that it was just right then I picked my phone and then I just tweeted up that um, it was been a great journey this is this, this but it's so funny like after we tweeted it's like they were unsure whether they wanted to let everyone go so they started mailing people that don't go tweeting don't go doing this mm, you don't you're know still, yet yeah. you're still employed to Twitter so even after I tweeted that thing I was in employment to Twitter for three months mm. uh, or two months, yeah. And I mean, I also received my salary, everything. Yeah. Like, but I just wasn't working. I just didn't have access to my tools. and Yeah, just um, off yeah. the grid, yeah. But yeah, it was a great experience. It taught me so much about how the world views Africa. Also, how much potential we have as Africans to impact the world. And by the time I was leaving Twitter, like, or even well, I was a few months into Twitter, I had started championing Africa to the world theme yeah. internally and it, it had caught on so much to the point that we even did a hashmoji for yeah, it. Sorry. So anything that I was doing was supposed to amplify Africa to the world. And it's also taught me a lot about partnerships, about how, um, you know how Ghanaians or in fact Africans, we are used to, everybody likes hiding in the corner to do their thing. Because, <laughs> yes, yeah, I have been like, saying that. Yes, that's true. You see everybody as competitor. You, some people have dubious intentions for you, so you don't want people to know what you're up doing. to or what your next move is. But partnerships really help. Uh, sometimes it doesn't have to be a cash exchange. No. Just find synergy, come together and build something great. And I left Twitter with that whole partnerships agenda at the back of my mind. And um, it's helped me get to like even achieve what I'm doing now with Jambo and I'm going to do a lot more partnerships with Jambo and the creative community out here in Ghana and Africa. Okay. So the, just, just missing Jambo. I think that's the last section we're going to touch on. Yeah. So what inspired you to even create this? Because Jambo is this creative space you're trying to build for creatives in Africa in a way. Yeah. So I've always been um, passionate about, you know, creators, creatives. I've worked in all these spaces relating to, and my agency to relating to creatives and creators. There's one common thing that I always hear when people come into town. Oh, where can I meet the creative community creative in Accra? And there's never really an answer for that. I'd give them a few contacts to reach out to. I'll direct them to some events, try and get them tickets. But I can't say that, go here. And when you mm -hmm. go here you would connect, you will be able to connect people, with the community yeah. of creatives. That was one thing that also pushed me, also the agenda of Africa to the world. 
also my partner Therese is also very much aligned with, with my beliefs uh, because I mean we're all walking the same journey together and most importantly we met another lady called Natasha who also used to work at Ringier hmm. I mean you know Ringier like they have like a family of like media houses media yeah. houses under so she also comes with our mindset and experience in the space so myself Natasha Therese came together and we were like let's do this let's set up this space and we started um, hunting for property and we found a, a very abandoned building it didn't look like we could turn it into what we wanted to do but we've been at this since last year August and thankfully and by the grace of God <laughs> here we are we've been able to launch Jambo it's in phases so we have the co-working parts ready co-working because we want Chris to be able to collaborate and just come and sit and work a lot of them don't have offices and can't afford yeah. offices yeah. or even their businesses or their gigs because they work in the gig economy it doesn't make sense to even go and get an office so no, no. this space is for you to just zip in do something and leave right. uh, it's as affordable as the 100 cities but we're building other greater stuff we have a music studio there mm-hmm. we are, we're building a podcast one we have a kitchen studio we are building, an African writer's library, uh, and a couple of things that creators will need to, and even a restaurant in the space, creators will need to amplify or push the work that they are doing. Yeah, mm, That makes sense. That makes sense. So that's now what your main focus is yes, on now. Yes, that's my main focus. I also work for, <laughs> people don't know this, but because I've not announced it anywhere. <laughs> But I work for a company called Spill. Okay. Spill is the next-gen social media app. It is like an app focused on amplifying people of color and the culture. It was started by the former head of social at Twitter okay. called Fons, Alfonso, um, Alfonso Terrell and um, his partner. And um, when they set it up, right after the layoffs, Mm. that's when they set it up and it was and then it was just an idea that they set up registered and everything yeah. and now they raised their first round yeah. I think 2.7 mil so set it up properly I was fortunate to get on board as the partnership lead again back for sense. Africa mm-hmm. so I have been working on that for the past two months okay. uh, we're in beta phase and we'll be launching the app soon probably within the next month Okay. Uh, we already have like 250 users on it testing mm. um, and we would open up to the public soon and they'll be able to invite three people each. Oh, nice. So yeah, it's been great. The interface, it's like a meme app. So you know how mm. Twitter is text, yeah, more um, text Instagram is video and um, images. P- yeah, pictures. This is a mix of all, but the format looks like a meme a meme app so I mean you can have a look at it okay cool so okay it's yeah I can see so more memes yeah so more text, memes text pictures. images gifts videos yeah okay. and it's, it looks good so far yeah I think it's very because especially for the young generation we are very yeah. much into visuals and images yeah so it's very much in line with what I do I have, a, I have an ecosystem now a space where people creators can come to I'm working on the next big thing, the next gen app for the world, for people of color. So you can see how everything connects. Nice. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty good. So my, my journey has not been, it's it's evolved over time. Like, yeah. I have not, like, every time I have like a, at least a five-year goal of what I want to do. But when the five-year elapses, I don't know where it's taking me. Because when mm. I was in, in Vodafone, 
I, I always used to say I want to own my own agency, mm. right? And um, first, I used to say I want to be a marketing manager. That's when I joined Vodafone. Then after I became a marketing manager at uh, or a CMO at Tonaton, I was like, I I want to own my own agency. So the next thing was I own my own agency. Mm, that was the next step. Then I started saying that the only thing that would make me leave this agency is if I'm working for a large global tech company. Okay. And then Twitter came. Mm. And then I worked for Twitter. Yeah. So then now it's like I'm redefining what I want to do again. Yeah. And then now the whole thing about it's now it's even beyond like specific goals. It is like what is my purpose now? And my uh, purpose is to amplify African voices to the world. And so yeah. I'm not even working with goals anymore. I'm just working with purpose, purpose, being driven by purpose. If you give me a job that doesn't align with my purpose, I'm not doing it. That That's sense. what I'm saying. I've been turning down like interviews and interviews stuff. and job offers and when when I see it's not aligned to what I'm gonna do like I won't do it I'm, I also offer like consulting jobs every now and then right. um, to different individuals so those ones I'll do them because it's consulting it's mm. like yeah it's just a my everyday <laughs> bread bread and butter but mm. if I'm to take a job and they put my whole head into it and carry it on my shoulder and announce it it has to be in line with my purpose, my purpose. yeah that makes sense so when you look back on your whole like journey and your career and stuff, is there anything that you look back and say, I should have done this instead of that? Or mm -hmm. I, I just think maybe, okay, I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. I've been so passionate that, so I, I'm not motivated by money. I've always been like that. Like, I like things that just fulfill me. Mm -hmm. Fine, money is important. Yeah. I, would eat. I want to eat, obviously. <laughs> yes. I enjoy life. Yes. But in the process of following passion and fulfillment, I have missed out on opportunities to protect myself. Mm. When I say that, I mean like contractual protection. Like mm. I've gone into business deals that I've gone in just with my heart, oh, but I not with so. my head. I got you. Yeah. You understand? And it's happened so many times that now I'm just being cautious. Like now I'm working more with, with legal. legal. I'm working yeah. more with business advisory so but if you if it was if i mean i had to learn those lessons oh, to yeah. not make the right decisions fair. do you get what i mean yeah, yeah. so um yeah I, I would say in the past i would have protected myself more or found the need to be serious about contracts mm. and not a lot of like verbal because in africa there's a lot of verbal yeah, like verbal agreements. agreements. Oh, Charlie, you come do. Oh, we go do. Yeah, we we'll sort we'll out. Sort we'll you out later. <laughs> then when the time comes, then everybody just start acting mm, weird. weird. So I've learned that yeah, Charlie, you should be able to just say no or please let's sign a contract or mm. what are the clear terms, and then that that would save you a whole lot of while. Makes sense. Okay, do you, would you have any advice for maybe the young people coming up, especially the creatives, like if they want to create their business and follow their passion, do you have any advice for them for what to do, especially with your background experience? It's easy to glorify or easy to look up to, be inspired by what's online. But the only way to materialize is if you act on it. Hmm. What I'll say to like people coming up or people who are now kicking it in their career is they should not be afraid to fail you don't owe anybody anything like if you fail the only thing it might do to you is just dampen your spirit a bit but mm. it only teaches you that this didn't work but the next thing might work you understand because now you've ticked off your list that this thing didn't work so you're not gonna make that mistake again you understand yeah you are starting someone says something you're starting 
you're not starting all over you're starting from experience mm, yeah you build yeah, something so yeah. people should do more and they should not be afraid to fail yeah okay awesome so that thing that wraps it up so thank you Bernard it has been thank very you too Joe alright <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of What's Your Story this episode was brought to you by Paystack the smart choice for accepting payments from anyone anywhere in the world Visit paystack.com slash technova to get started.